You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined with John Tatarud from Seattle, Washington. I met John at the Best Ever Conference last week in Denver, Colorado, where we were both uh, freezing to death and rubbing elbows with a bunch of other investors. John, thank you so much for joining us and hopping on my show. We're uh, excited to have you. Uh, thank you, Sterling. Thank you for letting me join you. John, can you give our listeners a, a brief background, um, where you came from, how you got into real estate, what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Um, my, my background is in technology. I spent my whole career in software and information technology. I developed software for a while, had my own company for a number of years, out producing and, and selling software, and uh, and then became a uh, a technology consultant for for the last number of years and uh, about 15 years or so in that field and and was able to leverage those skills to begin buying real estate about 11 years ago. I started with smaller properties. I, I kind of went down a path that everybody seems to go through was where um, I, I, I wasn't pleased with how um, investments were performing in the public markets and wanted more control and thought this was something that I could do. And so I bought some smaller properties soon after the 2008 crisis. It's about 2010. I was looking seriously into the markets and bought a three unit and four unit and, and got good deals on them because they were short sales. I owned them and managed them. They were not very far from my home. And, uh, was able to um, to go down and uh, and do the repairs on these properties and and um, find tenants and increase rents and little by little just improve the standards of of the units make made them nicer places to live for these tenants and it and it proved uh, worthwhile. I grew equity in the properties and sold them and bought progressively bigger properties. And after just a few years or so, and I'm still owning these properties. And I did partner on one earlier on and uh, bought the bigger properties and owned them. And it was around at that time, at about um, five or six years ago, that I I started learning about syndicating and and realizing the opportunities of joining other people's funds together and and um, where they're looking for opportunities like this as well real estate investments and and um, pooling funds and syndicating for buying larger properties and networked a lot in my area and joined other networking conferences in other places and little by little just improved my experience in education got my broker's license and and um Although I don't work as a broker, uh, I just wanted to, to educate myself and bought my first or did a first syndication with partners about five years ago and uh, owned it and managed. But we, we went full cycle, did, did very well for our investors and, uh, and have been looking for property and buying property since then. I, um, I wish that I could say I bought um, dozens and dozens of properties. That was really not the case. It's, a, it's been a difficult market. Every, every um, year in the market, it seems like, oh, <laughs> things can't continue going up anymore. I better be careful. Um, but as we all know, it has. And that's still the case today. It can't keep going up all the time, year after year. Um, so we're extremely careful and cautious and, and need to know that we're taking care of properties in case of a downturn. And, and that's always been my perspective. And so I, I, um, I grew from that 
first syndication and syndicated again last year. We, uh, um, a group of us bought a property in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was uh, not stable. It was a low occupancy property and we knew it going in and knew what our challenge was, renovating and leasing up. And we've been doing that since then. Um, also, uh, uh, I, one of the other properties that I owned on my own uh, in my state of Washington, I'd owned it for several years and had a lot of equity built up and, and, um, and was able to find a buyer and sell it toward the end of last year and do a 1031 exchange. And so I found a, uh, another property, a replacement property, and sold the previous one, put the new one under contract, and um, recently closed it just a few weeks ago. And awesome. I, I am so now I'm operating that. And back looking for more syndic properties to syndicate, larger properties at this point. Um, my last syndication was a 96 unit. And this one in, that I just bought is in Kansas City, is a, is a 40 unit, but we'll be looking at 100, 150 unit properties. Awesome. Awesome. Lots, uh, lots going on there. I've got tons of questions. Yeah. Yeah. I guess going to the beginning of the story. Um, sure. Why do we have so many people coming out of tech going into real estate? I hear that story over and over again. And, and knowing nothing about tech, I've always heard that's the greenest pastures where you can get rich overnight. So what, what is it that you think is causing so many folks from your industry to migrate to real estate? Investing? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, I, I can speak to that because I, I live in kind of a, a tech center and I live in the greater Seattle area. And in Seattle, like Silicon Valley and Boston, and a lot of other areas around the U.S. are are, are extremely strong in technology. A lot of it, the biggest companies have have large offices, if not headquarters here. And, and um, there's a lot of tech people around. Um, so there's several reasons. One is that the salaries are high, um, of course. And if you're good at technology, then you're worth a lot of money. You can make a decent salary. Um, a lot of these people are fairly young and they don't know necessarily how to trans translate that into um, building wealth. And so they look for things like um, or look for things like outside of the stock market. A lot of them are into crypto and a lot of them are into to real estate. And, and they're looking for ways of sheltering the, um, it's kind of a high, a high tax bracket. Um, the second reason is because uh, there is a lot of, um, of a logistical skill, technology skill that um, becomes super valuable in the world of real estate. Being able to look at the finances, uh, if you're good at coding, you're probably good at math and other number things, and so that translates well into into finances. And you can you can look at a financial profile of a property, and you can learn how to determine if it's um, a good opportunity to invest in or not. Um, uh, a lot of uh, technology people, it's it's sort of a cliche that they're not really people people that they don't. Uh, interact and that's that's clearly not true there's i mean i have a lot of a lot of technology friends that are that are very um outgoing and personable and they want to meet and they network well and so um <clears throat> there's a good opportunity for them uh and they do well because they they've sort of qualified themselves as has gotten a good education and and um and in a position to invest their own capital and maybe bring in other people because they know other people in the technology market. So um, 
Yeah, yeah. It is connected. <laughs> especially, I find, and this is my completely uneducated opinion on the subject, but especially in the syndication space where you're raising capital and you're marketing mass marketing and creating all these systems and processes where you manage from afar and you raise capital from afar and you try and expand your footprint. Um, it seems uh, every day I'm tripping over a different system or software that I don't know how to use and reaching out to some tech savvy friend of mine. So I can only imagine that a tech background would not have, uh, would, would not have slowed me down a bit in, in this process over the years. Um, I mean, I, I was bef- 10 minutes before this call cussing at the computer going, man, I, I, need, I wish I could get blah, blah, blah on the phone. He's a lot savvier at this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it, it, it also relates to, to a lot of other fields as well. Um, there, there's hardly a, a professional field out there that does not require some level of, of technical uh, skills. And maybe you didn't come out of college with them, but you sure developed them as you went along and uh, you got good at, at using systems and spreadsheets and you realize the benefits and you've, you've got that skill. And that's, that's absolutely transferable as well. People in medical professions and other engineering fields, uh, you know, they, they're, um, these are things that they can learn and they, they see the benefits of them. And it's, it's a transferable skill for sure. Awesome. So moving moving on down the line, um, tell me about your first smaller multifamily properties. How much how, can you walk me through? How much you paid for them? How much they rented for? How much you sold them for? And uh, you said you did the work yourself. You physically went in and and did the work, or or you hired people to to rent. Well, um, that that was a learning process, also. <laughs> um, that, I'll tell you at the outset, what what I fix usually doesn't stay fixed, and so I learned that. I didn't think that initially. I've done I've done my own home repairs, and and uh, and I enjoy that kind of work. It's kind of fun. I've I've done electrical, plumbing, carpentry on houses that I own, and so I think, oh yeah, I'm qualified, but I'm I was definitely not. I was not the right person to do that. So um, I I I, uh, I found properties that were short sales, as I mentioned, and um, the first one is a three unit property, and I think it was two hundred and forty thousand dollars or so, and so I I had I had enough money to put down as a down payment, and um and then. I mean, the first two were actually short sales. And the, the thing I would mention is that is that um, both of them, their owners, prior to the 08 collapse, had more loans outstanding than these properties were worth, considerably more. And so the banks really took a substantial hit while the owners did too. Um, and so they were good opportunities. But in 2009, 2010, uh, who knew they were good opportunities? All we knew was that we're in a crisis. And are we bottoming out? Are we starting to recover? Or is it going to get even worse in the future? Nobody knew that. I mean, you just kind of have to take your chances and, and think that oh, it probably is not going to get much worse. So, so I bought that one um, and had equity in it. And and uh, my process was was uh, it was about half an hour away, and I'd take a call from a proper from a from a tenant that maybe there was an issue on the property, and um, and I'd 
I sometimes have to leave my day job, but often it was something I can do in the evening or, or, or the next weekend, depending on the severity of the problem. And I did that for a while and then realized oh, I need a handyman or I need a, I need to know a plumber. I need to know an electrician um, or they're going to move out and I need to do a turn. And so what's the condition of the unit? Does it need paint? Does it need any kind of other repairs, things like that? And I found people. You just kind of look around and you go on Craigslist or whatever your resources are, and you find people to do this work. And that's how I grew managing the properties and 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 got myself out of the day-to-day uh, reacting to a, to a unit, um, but not very far. It was still ultimately my responsibility. And I had to take the calls and, and do a lot of that work. Um, nobody, nobody cares like you're gonna. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, three years, about three years into it, I realized, uh, the rents were up and, and I was learning how to, <laughs> something I'd did not know how to do when I initially bought them was how to how to value a property like that. Um, I was buying them um, thinking that, oh, they're all cheap now because we just came out of a recession, which is generally the case, but otherwise I didn't really know. And so I was learning how to value a property through that time period and could see three years later that oh, I've got a more valuable property now. And, and it, I've got whatever equity I put in, it's more than double two two and a half times or so in just three years. And I, I, I was um, pretty happy about it and wanted to leverage that equity and another property. I mean, this is, a, this is something that um, a lot of people will, will, they'll, they'll refinance on a property and w- which makes a lot of sense uh, for me. I chose just to sell it and take the full amount of equity and put it in another property uh, because I didn't see that there was a lot more upside potential in this property either. And so I bought larger properties. I took the, sold the three unit and bought an 11 unit. And I, and I had b- also bought a four unit at pretty much the same time and uh, did the same kinds of things to it and sold it about three years later and bought a 15 unit. And so there was a lot of equity, like um, enough equity to buy these larger properties. And they were in another part of um, my state, another part of Washington where, where uh, I wasn't able to drive to it. I had to have a professional property manager. Um, they were not on site or anything. It's far too small to get an on-site sure. uh, person but they're nearby and they took care of it. It was a huge burden off of my shoulders and, and learned that. And really it was the course of owning these properties that you realize I could own anywhere in the U S I don't have to own someplace that I have that, that I can drive to in two hours. Um, you've got a property manager, you're working with them on the phone. Sometimes you're driving to the property, but but you don't have to all that often. And so that kind of opened up a whole new world for me, looking at um, other parts of the country that maybe are better opportunities. No, absolutely. So walk me through the 1031 exchange you just did. We, we talked to a lot of people about uh, 1031 theory, but we don't uh, we don't often have people detail what the experience was like. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I had actually been through a 1031 on this same property previously. Um, so I had a little bit of experience and I had owned this one property. It was a 15 unit property and owned it for a number of years. And there was a lot of equity in it. And I, and I did not want to have to pay the capital gains tax. I wanted to, to try to, try to, uh, 
do a tax exchange attempt, everyone exchange, if I possibly could. And um, I, I knew that the demand for buying this property was pretty high, but I wasn't really sure. And so I started calling around brokers in the area and saying, Hey, I'm thinking of thinking, thinking of selling my property. And, and I um, wanted to talk with you, see if you're qualified to list it for me. And, and I talked to several of these brokers and um, this is very early in the process, really before I had my replacement property. So a um, brief overview of a 1031 exchange. Um, the general rules are, and confirm this by doing your own Google searches and talking to your own lawyer and account, um, accountant. But you, you, uh, after you close of the sale of your property, you have 45 days to identify up to three possible replacement properties. And then you have six months to close on the purchase of one of those properties. If for some reason you don't do that, then um, the whole 1031 is off. You're going to pay taxes on your gains. And so I knew I had a short window to identify a replacement property. And that was really my priority. And I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't want to get into the sale of my current property too soon before I really had an idea of where I wanted to buy. And so I was looking, um, I was looking around different markets for my replacement property. And I found a few, but I wasn't set on one yet. Um, but anyway, after I talked to the brokers, one broker presented me an unsolicited offer, and it was actually for what I was looking for. And I, I, um, I initially agreed to the price on that, and and I thought I should probably just take this, and um, and because it saves me a lot of hassle of listing it, and I probably won't get too much more for it. And I and we started moving down the road. Um, it turned out that that was not the right. Uh, right buyer for my property, and and we ended the contract, or we didn't have a, under the contract yet, but we ended the discussions. And but nevertheless, I have this confidence now that the property will sell. I was talking to other people and um, did find another buyer um, without listing it again for the same price, and so um, uh, uh, got it under contract and moved it down the road towards selling that property. And then I was in a scramble to, to find the replacement property. And I, I, um, I put in the contract contract for selling my property that I need 90 days to be able to sell it. I don't want to close any sooner than 90 days. And, um, that's, you know, typically a buyer is asking for a lot of time. In this case, it was a seller that's asking for it. Um, and, because I needed time. I didn't want to take the chance of not having a property. Um, and it turned out I found the replacement property uh, fairly early on and, and uh, negotiated a price, got it under contract, and then started moving through the purchase of that. And the more that I looked at it, the more I saw it, the more I liked it. And so, so that actually ended up going pretty smoothly. Um, the sale of my um, other property uh, went pretty well for the most part. Also, I actually started thinking that, wow, I, I wish I hadn't asked for 90 days. I kind of would like to have closed it sooner, um, but it went fine. Um, there are a few little hiccups along the line, but, but basically um, all in all, it went fine. And finding the replacement property uh, again, it's just me. I don't have partners. 
and I don't have uh, a private placement memorandum or any of the the baggage that a syndication has to come with. Um, it, but nevertheless, there were there were um, you know a few little issues along the line with buying the replacement property, and um, uh, it it um, it did go through to completion. There were some delays in it. Uh, but all in all, it went through to completion fairly successfully. I considered myself fortunate to have found that property. And I think that's the big challenge that a lot of people or hurdle a lot of people have in 1031s is like, oh my gosh, what am I going to well, buy? It's a, it's a chicken or the egg situation. It's like, well, I don't want to list it until I got this other one. But if I wait, yes. I might not be able to sell it quick enough. And it's, it's a, I mean, it's it certainly in theory is an anxious process yeah yeah and, and um for people thinking about it you know a cost segregation and bonus depreciation is another good option if you have a, a property with a lot of equity in it you sell it you you've got a big capital gains tax due go out put that money into another property and get a cost segregation study done and uh chances are it will allow you to to deduct a high percentage of your investment and um yeah and that's not I'm, I'm selling a bunch of single family houses this year and um mm-hmm. and my my cpa was like well i mean you're gonna have a huge tax liability there i'm like no i'm not i'm gonna dump it all into apartment buildings yeah <laughs> i mean yes. i'm either gonna dump it into our syndications or i'll dump it into somebody else's if we don't have enough deal flow but i i'm gonna take that cost seg you know, that bonus depreciation to offset it all. I'm not, I'm not paying all that taxes. No, there, there's, um, there, there's, there are options that are available. You have to be aggressive about it and, um, and, and educate yourself, but, um, you know, you've got a property and you there are a lot of other properties available and out there for sale. Um, not all of them are suitable. Um, and, you know, a lot of people hear that, oh, as soon as that seller finds out I'm doing a 1031 for buying his property, he's going to take me to the cleaners. And he's going to just um, um, <clears throat> impose a lot of other requirements on me and and be difficult to negotiate. And that's not always the case. I mean, it can be the case a lot, a lot of times, but um, I, I wouldn't let that deter you or intimidate somebody. Just do the deal and, and hang tight and maybe have other options that you can pursue if, if your targeted property doesn't work for some reason. Yep. Um, tell us about the, the syndication, the first one you did. It yeah, was, yeah. It was 96 units? Well, the first one we did was a 32-unit property in South Carolina, upstate South Carolina. The second one we did was... Um, was 96 units in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, um, and so I think that's the one you're asking about is it? Yeah. Yeah. The Tulsa one. Yes. Um, it, it, uh, it actually looked real nice from the outside and the prior owner had done a lot of work on it already and was planning on finishing all the renovations and leasing it up. And I heard about it and, and, um, he was amenable to, uh, to selling it off before he was finished his work. The outside looked nice, um, very good cur- curb appeal, and 
and most of the the units were already renovated. Uh, there were a few left. He had replaced a lot of the HVAC and PTACs and the mini splits, and and there were um, there was a lot of uh, a lot you know new new um, <clears throat> uh, resurfacing of countertops and new carpet. Replaced it with LVP in a lot of cases. Just a lot of them. These units looked nice. They just needed to be leased up. It was in a decent area of, of Tulsa, a growing area near a large medical facility with a lot of a lot of people coming in for that and other types of jobs just definitely a growing area and um and we found professional property well not to get ahead of myself but but it looked i liked it and got it under contract and um, through the contract period the owner continued to lease it up and finish some renovations and lease it up by the time we closed it was a little bit higher of occupancy it was probably in the low to mid 50s or so of occupancy um and and since then uh we have done work on all the units that still needed to be renovated we've we've uh we're not trying to over renovate them but there we knew there were, there was going to be a cost for that and we had um, a loan structure to make this uh, amenable for us. And we um, have been doing that since then. Our property manager has been finding new tenants for the property and, and um, advertising in a number of ways. It's interesting, we, uh, we connected with um, uh, the federal programs for placing Af Afghan refugees. And uh, there's a lot of them that have come into the US since the summertime. And they need places to live and um, uh, very good tenants. We've had some experiences with them and um, good people, hard workers, very family oriented, and they take care of things. Uh, they had good experiences so far in the first few months of operating with them. And so there's a, there's a, we're glad to have been of service in this area and, um, and we continue to progress finding new tenants. Uh, the challenges of course have been, with contractors, um, contractors are anywhere are super hard to find, and so um, we, 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 one of the uh, the challenges in the property or the issues that we knew about right away were they ha they had a lot of these old um, Federal Pacific stab lock breakers, the breaker panels that uh, were put in in the sixties oh, yeah. and seventies and and then prohibited because they were fire hazards and yep. and. Um, and insurance companies we've had to replace plenty yes yes and so we found an insurance company that would that would still insure us um their insurance i mean insurance in the property was going to be higher we knew that from the outset um and we committed to them that that'll be our first and highest priority project and it has been and um it is all they're all replaced except one now and that, are, that should be replaced next week um and so uh, we we got to work just putting putting uh, new replacement uh, uh, <clears throat> breaker panels in, and that's a challenge also because electricians are busy. <laughs> They're all all the skill skillful people are are um, uh, uh, productively utilized these days. Yeah, so it's a it's a weird world we're living in today where uh, there's plenty of money, but there's no deals and there's no workers. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, particularly the skilled workers and and um you know it could be worse it could be that there there's um we're we're uh, we're not in a recession yet thankfully knock on wood and hopefully we're not heading there but who knows um and uh but it all bodes well for multifamily multifamily um and that's the reason we're talking is there's great opportunities still 
for a number of years into the future. And we, um, we're out looking for them. They're hard to compete for. Uh, it's, it's not, they're not just um, deals falling off trees. You've got to really dig hard and, and that's, that's what will produce this. But yes, um, <clears throat> people are going to need places to live. They want nicer homes. They want nicer amenities. And uh, that's what we look for is opportunities to provide these services and, and improve, improve the conditions for tenants in, in, um, in growing areas. Awesome. John, I want to hop over to our, our radio round real quick. Um, okay. There's three quick questions. The first one is, what's your favorite book? Uh, there, there, is, um, there is a book that came out not too long ago, not this year, um, maybe three or four. Gosh, I can't remember. Three or four years ago. Um, it's called Living with a Seal. And Oh, yeah. That's David Goggins. David, no, David Goggins, yes. Did Isler write it about living with David Goggins? Yes, correct. Yeah, and he, um, his wife, of course, is Sarah Blakely from from uh, the Spanx Company. Is um, you're a very uh, wealthy couple, and so they had space in their Manhattan apartment or wherever. And and um, he met this. I mean, it's a story about about how how your um, your mindset, your focused mindset, can can make dramatic changes in not your body, not only your body, but also um, um, your, your, everything else about your mind and your life. And um, a phenomenal story about, about this. And David Goggins is, is, um, is a a tremendously successful guy as a Navy SEAL. And, and as an ultra marathon runner and several other insane physical feats. What yeah. Yeah. It was super inspiring for me. The for fittest sure. man on the planet or something. He, he did like a thousand yeah. pull-ups in a row. Uh, yeah. But not always. He was, he had a period where he's what? 150 pounds overweight. He said, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And yes. Well, that's great. That's a, that's a great, great book and, um, yes. and, and great characters. Um, what's your favorite quote? Uh, it's a quote that I actually have on my wall as a, as a daily reminder. Um, it, it says, um, everything you want is on the other side of fear. And yep. it, it, it kind of, I'm, I'm not even sure who said it. I, I should probably give, give credit to a person, but I, I don't recall. Um, it's, it's, it just resonated so much for me. It's like, I, oh, I can't do this because. Um, sounds like, sounds like Zig. Yeah. Yeah. It could be, and it could have been around for a while, but it just hit home for me. Awesome. That's a good one. Uh, and what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Uh, I, I like to, uh, to travel and take pictures. I, I do a fair amount of outdoor photography. I have an Instagram uh, page or site where I post my outdoor photography. Um, John Totter Road Outdoors on Instagram, <laughs> my little plug, but um, yeah, it's travel photography and, and um, wildlife and uh, anything outdoors, I like to, to photograph. I mean, I do a number of other activities and stay pretty active with uh, with workouts and running and and um, uh, yeah, that's, just uh, need to keep active and keep my mind active outside of work. Awesome, love it, I love it, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, how they can invest with you, how they can. Uh, mastermind with you or learn from you? 
Oh, great. Th thank you, Sterling. Really appreciate it. It's great to catch up with you again um, since we, we uh, met not too long ago in Denver. And uh, I can be reached, of course, through LinkedIn, John Totterud, T-O-D-D-E-R-U-D, and also through either Facebook, uh, my company, Cardinal Oak Investments, John Totterud, Cardinal Oak Investments, and, of course, um, uh, LinkedIn and um, at John Totterud, I'm sorry, and my email, John, J-O-H-N, at Cardinal Oak, C-A-R-D-I-N-A-L-O-A-K.com. Awesome, John. Thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed catching up with you again, and I definitely look forward to keeping up with you on your journey. Thanks very much, Sterling. Likewise. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.